Advancing innovative research, academic excellence, and family-centered care to transform outcomes for children around the world. Children's Mercy Kansas City presents the audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. Welcome to Transformational Pediatrics. I'm Dr. Michael Smith, and our topic is clots in kids, an increasing problem. My guest is Dr. Shannon Carpenter. Dr. Carpenter is Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Missouri-Kansas City and is the Associate Division Director, Section of Hematology at Children's Mercy Kansas City, where she also serves as Director of the Hemophilia Treatment Center. Dr. Carpenter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So right in the title, we have Clots and Kids, an Increasing Problem. How big uh, of a problem is this? How common really is clots in kids? So um, it is a, a rising problem, particularly in hospitalized children. Um, there was a study done in, that was published in 2009 um, from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia that showed that um, in hospitalized children, the rate of clot, or in this case termed venous thromboembolism, or VTE, increased 70% during the period of the study. Um, now, I should say that while it is an increasing problem in children, we're still talking about a rare event um, that it went, in this particular case, from 34 cases per 100,000 admissions to 58 cases per 100,000 admissions. So it's still fairly rare, but in hospitalized children, we see it pretty frequently. And in um, Children's Mercy, we, uh, we have a dedicated um, inpatient coagulation consult service that sees patients with bleeding and clotting problems within the hospital. And we probably, we're on pace to see over uh, 200 new consults this year um, of children with bleeding and clotting problems. And about 80% of those are kids with clots. So you can see that, you know, in a big hospital like Children's Mercy, it, it's, a, it's a problem um, seeing kids with clots. Why do you think we're seeing the, the increase? So you're saying you're on uh, pace right now for about 200 cases. Is well, how does that compare to previous years? And, and, and if it is a significant increase, wh what do you think is going on? So we saw about 100. We saw 146 distinct new um, consults last year. So we are seeing an increase in in, in our um, in our number of people who are, we're seeing. I think there's a couple of different reasons for that. Um, one is I think we're doing a better job of identifying kids with clot. Um, I think that uh, it, we've recognized it as a um, significant problem that is um, something that we have to pay attention to. The um, Previously, a lot, some clots were either not ever identified or when they were identified, people didn't recognize that that was a significant problem. We also have patients who we're better at treating complex diseases. Um, so kids who are hospitalized are hospitalized for a number of different reasons, but we're better at treating complex congenital heart disease. We're better at treating um, certain cancers. We're better at treating um, certain other congenital disorders. We're much better at treating um, neonates, and um, younger and younger children are surviving um, in, after being born prematurely. And all of those kids are at higher risk for clotting compared to a healthy child on the street. So that combined with um, medical instrumentation, such as lines, all combined to create a higher risk of clot in certain populations. And what are the short-term and long-term implications for children who, who have had a clot? So the most 
significant short-term complication is death. Uh, about 1% to 4% of kids who develop a, a, a quad, a venous thromboembolism, will die. Um, about 20% will get a pulmonary embolus, so a quad into the, the vessels that lead to the heart. I mean, excuse me, to the lungs, uh, from the heart to the lungs. Um, so all of those are, are pretty major problems, as you can, as you can see. Um, right. Depending upon where the clot is, you can have uh, effect, uh, an effect to that organ at a partic- uh, particular acute time period. So if the clot is um, in the vessels leading to or from the kidney, you can have problems with acute renal insufficiency. Um, clots are a great place for bacteria to grow, so you can have sepsis. Um, you can develop uh, calothorax or, or lymphatic fluid around the lungs that, um, due to clots. Um, I've had a patient lose an arm related to a clot. Um, he developed a very aggressive venous clot and developed gangrene, venous gangrene. Uh, and in the smaller portion, you can have uh, catheters that just don't work anymore, which doesn't seem like such a big deal um, when you think about the rest of what I've just talked about. But mm-hmm. if you have a patient who really needs their, their line, um, that could be a major issue if they've run out of other sites for it. Chronic issues, the main one we, we worry about um, is post-thrombotic syndrome. Patients who have a venous thromboembolism in a, in a, in a limb can develop um, damage to the veins in that limb, and they can have chronic swelling, skin changes, um, temperature changes, pain, cramping, uh, tingling sensations, even um, ulcers or and, and dilated vessels, depending on how severe that post-thrombotic syndrome is. Um, so there's a lot of things that can occur, um, and patients who have had a clot are at risk for another clot. Um, about 20% of patients with uh, a, a, a limb clot will develop that post-thrombotic syndrome I was referring to. And in, with, in, re- in reference to the post-thrombotic syndrome, you know, it, does the risk go up the, the longer it's not diagnosed and treated? I mean, if I diagnose quickly, get treatment going, does post-thrombotic syndrome risk decrease in those cases? Or exactly, exactly. It, it does, okay, yeah. Yeah, so the things that increase the risk of post-thrombotic syndrome are a clot that fully occludes the, the vessel um, and delay in treatment. Um, so if we can treat with good anticoagulation in a timely manner, then that will reduce, reduce their risk of, of getting post-thrombotic syndrome. And so, what do you let's let's move to the question of prevention then? Um, so we know mm-hmm. we we know which patients are at at higher risk. Uh, what what can we do then um, to to prevent uh, clot in kids? So we're focusing our our efforts right now on on preventing hospital acquired clots. There are a small number of kids who have an increased risk of clotting that they inherit, and that's something that that is handed down through their family. And we can do some things for them. We can um, be aware of, of certain medications that can increase their risk of clotting, like oral contraceptives in teenage girls. Um, but there may not be a ton we can do for those kids that, outside of their genetics that's already predispositioned them. But in the hospital, we have the opportunity to prevent clots that we cause through um, either medical procedures or, or clots that kids get because of the infections or other illnesses that bring them to the hospital. On average at Children's Mercy, we get... We have a hospital-acquired venous thromboembolism every 13 days, and that's not including the NICU. And in the ICU, we know that neonates and adolescents have the highest rates of, of thrombosis um, when you look at the ages of kids. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the associated things that, are, that go along with that, um, central lines, uh, so having a central line in place, and certainly if that central line gets infected, 
put them at higher risk of getting um, getting a clot, um, decreased mobility, and um, certain uh, uh, certain infections can put you at higher risk. So uh, osteomyelitis, staph aureus infections can put you at higher risk for getting a clot. So what can we do to prevent it? Well, we don't know how to prevent all of them. Um, we have some data on preventing um, certainly lower extremity or immobi- immobility-related clots by using sequential compression devices, so the, the squeezy boots that people get put mm-hmm. on when they, when they aren't moving around. Um, and those can decrease clots to a certain extent. There are certain patients who probably would benefit from an anticoagulant while they're in the hospital. As an adult, if you go in the hospital, um, I think even if you're visiting, they give you an anticoagulant. But, um, <laughs> but you know, certainly if you're admitted, that's a very common thing to do. Um, there's not, there's only certain populations where we have good data in pediatrics to say that an anticoagulant really benefits and prevents a clot from forming. So a lot more research really needs to be done. And we're collaborating with um, the, the uh, nationally with the Solutions for Patient Safety Children's Hospitals, um, which is a large collaborative of children's hospitals looking to reduce um, hospital-acquired conditions, um, but trying to better um, work out prophylactic guidelines for children to prevent clots that come in the hospital. Well, let me ask you, Dr. Carpenter, so even though we don't have a lot of data on the use of anticoagulants for kids in the hospital. What's your feeling about it, though? Do you think uh, it, it, it's it's something we should be doing more, um, or do we just need to wait for the data to come out? I think that there are certain populations where there's definitely good data, and um, I think that as kids are closer to being adult-like, um, so the 16-year-old boy who comes in after a trauma who weighs twice what I weigh, um, you know, we should treat that young man as he sure. would be treated in in an adult hospital and, and prophylax them as, as they would. Um, we should, there if um, if a child has a, an overwhelming infection, uh, say with uh, an osteomyelitis or something of that nature, that would be a strong consideration for me um, in terms of treating them with pharmacologic prophylaxis. Um, we know that with spinal cord injuries, there's actually good data to say once they're out of the, the risk of bleeding with spinal cord injuries, that um, prophylaxis is, is definitely indicated in that population. So we're going to have to go from population to population to really right. identify mm-hmm. those folks who are going to benefit. But in, on a case-by-case basis and with, um, with you know, evaluation of that patient's specific risk factors, we have impl- in, implemented it on a number of patients within our hospital. Um, and I think it is appropriate um, to implement it across a population just kind of blanket. I, don't, I think we should wait for more data on that. Okay. Dr. Carpenter, I want to thank you for all the work that you are doing, and I want to thank you for coming on the show. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics with Children's Mercy Kansas City. For more information, you can go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. Have a great day.